This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director uh, for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center, and welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. And our topic today is sexuality in general. Uh, we've just completed a conference here at the seminary called uh, Jerusalem Meets Vegas, which is our way of talking about a whole array of issues related to sexuality. And I have two very uh, qualified people to discuss this topic with us. They're both veterans of foreign wars when it comes to the table. They've been here before and, uh, and are back, and I'm sure we'll have them uh, yet again. Mark Yarhouse is on my left. Uh, he, he holds the Use Endowed Chair and is Professor of Psychology at Regent University in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Thank you, Mark, for being a part of this. Thank you for having me. And then Stan Jones, who's Provost and Professor of Psychology at Wheaton College, who uh, actually had the privilege of launching uh, our table podcast as well as our table uh, chapels uh, that we do at the seminary on, on the topic of, of same-sex issues. And uh, he's here with us from Wheaton, and we thank you for being a part, Stan. Great to be back, Joe. I'm going to just dive right in. Let's let's talk about sexuality in the church in general, and I'm going to start with a premise, and that is that if you say church and sex, okay, most people are going to go, that's negative. All I'm going to hear is the negative. All I'm going to hear is what we shouldn't do, that kind of thing. And we're probably uh, a little guilty of that, if I can say that, in terms of, of the way we project ourselves. So, so my question is this, and I'll start with you, Mark. Um, uh, what What's What's the positive side of the story, and, and how would you encourage the church um, uh, t to be more positive when it addresses issues of sexuality in our world? Mm -hmm. Well, I do think that for many people, their experience with uh, talking about sex in church is, is begins with the negative, the things that you're not supposed to do or the things that we need you to avoid. Um, but I think there's a, many reasons to think of a positive view of sexuality from the church. I mean, I think from creation, God designed us to be sexual beings and uh, intended for sexual intimacy to be a gift you know, to people who um, are brought into marriage. And so it ends up, um, I think, just starting out of the uh, creation story that uh, this was something that was meant to be a very positive, good uh, thing for people to delight in, um, but so much of our conversation ends up being around the areas that we have concern about. And Stan, as you think about this question uh, and you think about building a foundation that talks about uh, sex in a positive way or maybe even properly theologically framed, uh, how, would you, how would you get us to think about this? 
I think Mark is exactly right to start at creation, and um, and uh, the, I think that the church is, is oftentimes driven by the contemporary conversation. They're concerned about the, the direction that culture is taking us, and so the, the instinct is to resist and to protect, and uh, it particularly gets expressed in the desire to protect children. And I think that we forget that the best way to protect our children is to fully inform our children and teach them the full positive story of God's gift of sexuality, that if we teach our children how God's gift is a good gift, it can be misused, yes, but if it's used properly, it will be a blessing in marriage, and it will be a blessing in singleness, too. Our sexuality is a positive gift to individuals as well as to married couples. Um, as individuals, it robs us of any illusion that we can be isolated, autonomous beings without needs for other people. Our sexuality is part of the basis of the, by which we're drawn towards relationship, and that I think uh, we all discover as, as matured adults that um, you know having sex doesn't answer, doesn't end your in needs for intimacy. It just opens, it just points to something deeper that we want. And I think what we all ultimately want is a relationship with God, and so our sexuality is one of the ways in which God speaks to us that we're not meant to be alone, uh, both at a human level, but also at a, at a, in, in the relationship with God Himself. Now, you know, one of the interesting things that you all both did today, which I thought was fascinating, was uh, was to discuss um, the role of singleness in all this, because usually when you think of sexuality and singleness, um, those two conversations don't go together too naturally. Um, and yet, there's something also about being a single person affirmed even in the example of Jesus. Jesus, who himself uh, was single and remained single, that's a part of this story. What does singleness add to this conversation, or at least what what perspective uh, does it, or added dimension does it give to us in this? Well, I think part of our sexuality is the longing for the for completion in the other, and mm -hmm. so Stan's point is that our sexuality points to transcendent reality and purposes. God wants intimacy with us, and so you can experience that at one level in marriage in terms of uh, sexual intimacy and delighting in our sexuality in, in one way. But in singleness, you also delight in your sexuality um, because it also uh, reminds you of the intimacy God wants to have with you. It's, it's in some ways like the um, ancient practice of uh, the spiritual discipline of fasting. I mean, you, you refrain from food to remind yourself that you only really sustain yourself on uh, who Jesus is, and it's it's His sustenance that gives you life. He's the bread of life, and so sexuality, um, I think, properly understood for a married person or a single person, is intended by God to be instructive of our need for Him, our desire to be um, in an intimate walk with Him. Stan, yeah, I think that that the. the the single person in our churches, unfortunately, evangelical churches all too often treat single people as the folks that you're trying to get married so mm -hmm. that they can can move into that status. But uh, we we get uncomfortable with the idea of uh, singles who are uh, who are committed to chastity and and really building you know deep relationships with each other. And Mark is part of a movement uh, that I really appreciate to deepen the understanding of singleness. And I think that we can um, we can deepen our understanding of friendship. We can deepen our understanding of what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We can build relationships that that really do speak of of the the, the 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 deep transformation that the gospel can work in people's lives, and do so in a way that's honoring to the to the teachings of Scripture about sexual morality. Now, when we think about uh, the the way in which the church has responded to these areas, and and really the the tension that the church feels itself under to some degree, because there uh, there are. 
divine uh, standards and and divine provisions, if I think think about it uh, in the more positive terms, about how God defines the way we should express this intimacy that we're talking about that shows itself in sexuality. And we think about what's happening around us in the culture. Obviously, there's a there's a tension that's introduced there. Um, and you all have both spent a lot of time talking about the kinds of scripts that are coming to us from the culture about sexuality, and how the church really has um, almost been deaf, if I can use a figure of speech, to what those scripts are, the power of those scripts, what they say, why they're inviting. Uh, and, and why they draw people uh, towards them. So I'd like for you all to explain, first of all, what the script is and why it's powerful, but then secondly, how the church should be responding to these scripts. Stan, I think I'll start with you. Um, so so what, what scripts are we hearing about the way sexuality works in defining um, who we are as people, and why is that such a powerful message? I think the, uh, the the two scripts I talked about in my concluding talk today were, I think, are very powerful in our culture. One is sort of an evolutionary script that says basically that the only purpose of life is to perpetuate itself in further life. And so um, this is, I think, something that comes weighted with the sort of – as if this is the scientific view. Mm -hmm. it, and uh, it's sort of a, a validation of a sort of a, you know, empirical reality is whatever it is. I am what I am. Uh, I, I should, should embrace whatever it is. That I experience, and uh, it, it comes with a certain license to, to to do whatever I want to do, and I think that appeals to sort of the the arrogance of the human condition that uh, th that we need to address. And so there's a there's an attractiveness to that view that I think is is actually dangerous that the church needs to understand even as it engages. And I think the other major view is is the the view that sexual identity is really f fundamentally it's an it's a, an identity that we construct. It's a narrative that we make for ourselves. And as long as that narrative helps us to feel better, it's mm -hmm. it's good. So, um, so the the goal is to really become the person that I am, am inclined to be anyway. And so, self acceptance becomes the theme that that drives this movement. And uh, and the goal is to build an identity that 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 again works for you. And um, and I think that uh, in some parts of the church, we're more influenced by what Christian Smith has called moralistic therapeutic deism, with the idea that God is just sort of there. He's a good God. He kind of loves us at a distance, and He just wants us to play nice, mm -hmm. and everything will, will work out just fine. But the, the Christian message is really fundamentally different. The, the Christian message is that God sort of intruded into the world and is in, in, in inviting people to to, uh, to come to true relationship with him and to come to true relationship we need to know the, how, how broken we are mm. and uh, and that but that we can be transformed and so I think that the church if it can figure out where people are stuck in their understanding of sexuality what it is that they think their 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 narrative about sexuality is doing whether it's a sort of a hopeless uh, sort of uh, uh, evolutionary view that there's there's no ultimate purpose or the narrative purpose of my sexual identity is all that there is, helping people to know that there's something more that you can you can get to through the person of Christ can give us hope for transformation. And I think that can so be very So if powerful. life doesn't make any sense and there's no real difference, then it really doesn't matter very much what I that's do with right. my life. But if there's some rhyme or reason to it, then that's a, that's right. a different kind of deal. Mark, I know you've stressed a, another element of this, other than the points that Stan has brought up, that have to do with the draw to community and, a, and, and, a, and an 
expression of that acceptance. I'd like to hear you draw that out a little bit because I do think that's part of where the power of the script is. Yeah, I mean, I was just looking through the research we had done at, at what is what is so emotionally compelling about the mainstream gay community, and it seemed to be answering fundamental questions about two things that matter to all of us, which is uh, these two things are identity and community. So who am I and of what community am I a part? And so I think what draws people in is what I've referred to as a gay script, and I'm, I'm not uh, – I'm just kind of describing what I think – I don't think you're going to Google it and find uh, you know, a definition <laughs> yeah, right. of it. But I do think uh, it begins with the premise that, um, that, that same-sex sexuality distinguishes types of people, that there are categorically different types of people by, by virtue of their pattern of sexual attraction, and that this same-sex sexuality is, is kind of central to your sense of who you are as a person. It's core, uh, a core part of who you are. Um, so it's at the center of your sense of self. And then when, you know, when people come along and they evaluate, like, sexual behavior is, you know, right or wrong, mm -hmm. uh, or they try to impose a sexual ethic on a person, that script says, look, there, there's nothing here to judge. It's simply an expression of something fundamental to who you are. It's 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 expression of your identity. So your identity gives you the right to be there, and, and then the question is um, – the uh, and then alongside that comes an affirmation of people who say – uh, not only have the right to be there, but it's a, it's a good thing to be where you are. Yeah, I think we end up at a place of self-actualization mm -hmm. of your sexual identity, your sexuality. I think that's tremendously compelling emotionally. Mm -hmm. I think it's a script that snuck up on the church. I don't think the church saw that coming. I don't. Mm -hmm. You know, I think yeah. the church was having a different kind of discussion mm -hmm. in our culture while this was. I think developing and sort of took on a life of its own. It was. Um, developed as a, as a culture, as a community, and I think you have young people and really people of all ages who would be drawn to that, uh, particularly if the contrast in their local church is one that is, has not felt life-giving. Mm -hmm. so, so in one sense, the response uh, to this is I would take it some kind of other compelling story, something that can, if I can use this term, challenge that understanding of the way of orienting your life. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming that there is something out there that the church can do and say that, that addresses these issues in a different way and yet hopefully supplies the kinds of things uh, that either this does or cannot address. Do you, would you say the church has such a story and such a place to take people? I think the church has the, has the uh, capacity to speak into this area, but we have struggled, and I think um, we've been satisfied um, with an ex-gay storyline mm -hmm. that we believed that anybody who tried hard enough or had enough faith would be able to live into, that mm -hmm. they would just become heterosexual, mm -hmm. um, and that that's what God's provision would mean for them. And that's, that's a really delicate area right now within our larger cultural discussion. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to discourage people who believe that they um, should pursue something along those lines. Mm -hmm. But I think that most people who have gone down that path have not found it to be as satisfying as they hoped it would be, mm -hmm. and it's been challenging for them. And mm -hmm. so some part of what we hear back is, I don't know that, that what I get on the other side of that is the kind of um, healing or heterosexuality I thought I was going to get. Mm -hmm. And um, that doesn't mean there can't be some uh, 
um, gains for that person. It also could mean that the person um, moves away from thinking and identifying themselves in one way and they use different categories and language and structures. They discontinue a pattern of behavior that used to characterize them as a person and now, now they're not doing that. Um, for some people, it's going to be pursuing uh, celibacy or you know, other, other avenues. So I don't know that we've developed multiple storylines that feel as life-giving to somebody. And while all this is going on, it's all done under um, a magnifying glass of a larger cultural debate in which any of these storylines are being ridiculed mm -hmm. in social media and elsewhere so that it feels like there's not even the space to explore these possibilities because anything other than living into a gay script feels like it's being marginalized. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. Yeah, I think that's actually a pretty important observation that whether we're talking about the church's claim that the, the call is to go from being gay to becoming ex-gay, if I can just say it real simply and crisply, or the call is to, to uh, accept this is the this is who I am, and this is how I am uh, drawn. This is how my attractions are drawn. But I'm going to live in a way that honors God and is celibate. In the midst of that, neither of those options is very welcome in the gay gay community, and is very much um, very much challenged. And in some cases, mocked as taking away something essential from the person. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, the, uh, all of that is still under the authority of a moral vision. That's imposed by the outside, and that—that's—that's mm -hmm. that's the sort of fundamental um, discussion that's happening in our culture at, at many levels. Is will I submit myself to something that I believe resides outside of me, that I that I trust, that has a moral vision for how I should live my life? Mm -hmm. And there, I think there is something in just our fallenness that reacts to that. Like I—I I will not be mm -hmm. subject to another, and yet. The Christian says that that's exactly who I am. Mm -hmm. I am subject that's right. to a king. Mm -hmm. And if I could add, just yeah. I th think that one of the things that Mark and I have heard in, in conversations with so many people is that there's such a sense among people who experience same-sex attraction that they are really the other. They're, that they're, they're in a special class of brokenness. Mm -hmm. And I think that that we need to really emphasize the universal. And Mark was saying was doing exactly that at the end. Emphasize the universal dimension of this of the of the bigger story that we need to tell, and that is. It's a universal of that we are all broken. This is not me, the whole person, talking to the broken person experiencing same-sex attraction. This is me, the broken person whose, for, whose brokenness in the area of sexuality is, is in a, just simply in a different area of, of brokenness than what this person experienced. But I am much more alike, and I'm fundamentally alike, fundamentally like the person that I'm talking to, and not fundamentally different. So we, we are we are 
part of the same human family experiencing we, they have, we have the same fundamental gift of, of sexuality and and the brokenness I experience is just as profound as that person's brokenness just expressed in different ways you know I had a conversation with someone who was exactly in this area and it was it was actually we were contending as to whether the the way in which the church should respond to the situation is to insist if I can say it that way that that a gay be told to move to an ex-gay lifestyle and let God heal them. That was the actual language that was being used. Versus the option of this, uh, yes, I'm I'm gay and I'm oriented this way, but I've chosen to be celibate. And I use this illustration to get at your shared brokenness picture, and that is to say, you know, I'm a male. Males tend to, to have desires and lusts and that kind of thing. That doesn't go away simply because I become a Christian. I still wrestle with those areas in my life. It doesn't go away because it you're not married. It doesn't either. go away because I get married. It, you know, it's still there. So then the issue becomes how do I deal with this if this is a reality in my life? If this is something I have to – I don't know what other word to use – I have to contend with in my life in, 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 and make choices about, volitional choices about in my life. And it seems to me that that's an analogy, that, that – the way in which one person may wrestle and struggle with one area in their life that challenges them is like another area that another person struggles with a different a different struggle, but the same fundamental kinds of choices that we face about how I'm going to conduct myself. And I tried to say to this person, the person who chooses to say, this is who I am, I've tried to change, I can't change, but I'm still going to honor God out of this place, yeah. is actually doing a very good thing in comparison to the person who either says, well, that's who I am, so I'm just giving up, or the person who says, I'm going to try and make myself into something that really doesn't feel real in terms of who I am, which it seems to me are your other two options. Um, yeah. is, is that a helpful way to, th to think about, uh, about um, approaching this, or, or, or should we – should we think about the gay person as kind of being in their own class? Yeah, I don't, I don't think I want to say that they're in their own class, but I do think it, we want to be sensitive to the fact that their set of challenges are different in important ways. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if the three of us who are heterosexual and married talk about our unique challenges as though very comparable to a gay person's, I think there's a lot of um, gay Christians who would look at, or a, a gay person who's um, even celibate and Christian, look at that and say, "Yeah, but you have those releases and opportunities for intimacy and genital sexual expression with your spouse." So, that, so um, the way that I tend to think about it is more of a principle of stewardship that, mm -hmm. that I that I, we're all called to be good stewards of the impulses that we do experience. And so, if I'm married, I still have to be a good steward of the impulses I have. Mm -hmm. And some of my desires might not be solely for my spouse, and so mm -hmm. I still have to be a good steward of those things. If I'm single, I want to be a good steward of my sexual impulses. If I experience same-sex sexuality, what's it going to mean for a follower of Christ to be a good steward of the impulses that they feel? So there's an element there that there's something that hangs together. We all share something in common. Mm -hmm. We have sexual impulses. And we have this principle of stewardship. But there will be differences. There's also just differences if you're two single people and one person's heterosexual. Well, they have the opportunity to date and have physical 
um, expressions of, of affection and things like that. And the gay person may feel quite constrained as to whether that's even something they can consider. Mm -hmm. And does that is that is that uh, that less experience of affection and intimacy um, is that experienced differently for them? My 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 conversations with gay people is yes, it is experienced differently. Hmm. Interesting. Um, the, the, Stan, you brought up something that I thought was was also important, and it gets also into some of the areas we've just been discussing, which is. Um, the whole area of the way in which um, the volition is directed, and the, it was it was the quote that you put up. It was from John Paul. It said um, the second that said, um, uh, "You know, I have a choice between basically my identity pursuing who I am versus what well, I don't remember exactly who who I, who I ought to be or something T like the that." Tension between the person that I am and versus the person that I ought, ought to, to be. be. Yes. Yeah. And I thought that was an interesting um, way of posing the question. What's what do you see? I, I think it's a powerful picture. Um, what do you see is wrapped up in that difference? That difference. I think that that it's a it's a fundamental question, Daryl, of uh, of Christians Christians having the witness of God as as an objective standard outside of ourselves. That this Mark spoke earlier about sort of the fundamental resistance of the of the of the person of all of us. I think the message of Romans Romans one is not that that people experiencing same-sex attraction are especially bad people. Mm -hmm. The Apostle Paul is very explicit. He uses, the, he uses that as an example to say, no, 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 we all rebel against God. Yeah, absolutely. He says it's in the plural in that passage. The, the remark is made against those who teach these things. It's plural. That's it's right. all everything in the category. It's not just one thing. That's right. That's right. And so it's it's part of the universal condition to say, to say I, don't, I don't want to receive a negative diagnosis about who I am. But the that, but that's God's grace. That's that's God's hard grace to us, is to say, let me show up. Uh, let me show you uh, a diagnosis, and I, and, I'll, and I do it in part through the law, and I do it in part through the perfect life of Jesus Christ, against which measure all of us fail. Mm -hmm. And uh, and in that, I see my brokenness. And and so we 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 face this dilemma of that that our fundamental choices are: are we willing to see that brokenness, and are we willing to submit or submit to God the possibility of transformation? Through forgiveness, and then this infusion of new life in Christ, so that we can pursue that person that I ought to be, um, and so th that's that's the fundamental, I think, uh, option that is that is before us. And and that leads to a discussion about identity, and 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 if I can say it this way, which identity trumps? What what, what identity um, directs, controls, uh, guides life? Pick your verb. Um, and uh, and you both also spend a lot of time talking about the importance of identity. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. With and I'm and I'm really setting up a situation where we're going to talk about the other half of this. But um, uh, let's talk about core identity and and where core identity lies. Because in the gay script, core identity is very much related into your sexual identity. That's that's that defines who you are. Uh, but we're talking about a, an, an identity and an identification that that um, really reframes that, if I can say it that way. Um, so, how, how do you how do you see identity working in this conversation? Well, I I do think that anytime you are in the minority, 
those elements that define your minority status become more salient to you. Mm -hmm. So it's a, not an unusual thing if you experience same-sex sexuality for that to have more prominence in the way you think about yourself than when the majority doesn't experience that. So mm -hmm. I want to be a little bit careful not to uh, over-respond to that piece. But when you talk with Christians who are navigating this terrain, some of them um, end up experiencing their same sexuality as um, kind of increasingly salient, and it ends up becoming, um, uh, for them, a more orienting way of thinking about themselves. And yet there's others, many, who say, "I, yes, this is an important part of my life, but I choose not to form my identity around it, and I go in a different direction. Um, and then there's still others who say, I'll use this as an adjective to say that I'm gay, just to communicate to the world that this is my pattern of attraction. But uh, fundamentally, I'm, I think of myself in other terms as well. So I think there's, a, there's quite a range of ways so to there, do So you, you actually talk about three different ways to talk about this, three tiers. Um, and and you might, might be, we've done this before on these broadcasts, but it might be good to go over that ground because it's an important sure. distinction. Let, let's talk about what those three tiers are and the difference between them as you see it. Okay, so uh, the three-tier distinction is between same-sex attraction, homosexual orientation, and gay identity. And it's just based on large surveys that when you ask people to describe their experiences, if they ever had same-sex attraction, do you get a certain percentage of people that would say, yes, I have experienced same-sex attraction? You ask those same people, how would you describe your orientation? A much smaller percentage would say, I'm oriented towards the same sex. Okay, so what's the difference between those two? It probably has to do with the strength of the attractions and how enduring or persistent they are over time. And then we speak of it as more of a, an orientation, I'm oriented towards the same sex. In the common vernacular today, young people would refer to themselves then as gay. That They're just telling someone else, my pattern of attraction is sustained and enduring towards the same sex, but they're not going to use that kind of language to communicate it. And then the third tier is gay identity, which is a modern sociocultural label for referencing one's sexual preferences. Um, it could just mean as an adjective, but it also could mean be more like a noun, and it could be saying to other people around you that, that, that gay for me comprises both identity and a culture. And I think a generation ago, people would hear gay and think exactly that. Well, you're telling me something about your views of morality, your sexual ethic. You're, you're telling me something more mm -hmm. than just patterns of attraction. But you do hear younger people today more comfortable using gay as an adjective in a way that's different than their parents' generation. And I just think that's something in ministry just to be aware of, that someone says they're gay. You, there's an opportunity to unpack. You don't know where they are on the tiers. Is yeah, that what you're saying? You don't. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but it, uh, another way of flipping it around is, so are you saying these are three different ways of talking about this, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, it, that one tier has a stronger type of identification than another, or, or are we, is it a scale, in other words, or is it just three different ways to think about it? I treat it as three different ways people talk about it, and I'm essentially deconstructing gay okay. identity for people. And if it's useful, you know, pastorally, for someone to f see this distinction, for some people it just lets them describe what they feel without making decisions mm -hmm. yet about behavior or identity. Mm -hmm. um, other people, you know, in our culture, we treat those three things as synonymous. Mm -hmm. If you experience same-sex attraction, 
your identity is is gay. And so why would you tease any of that out? Mm -hmm. So I only use it in settings where the person's feeling like they need to explore that or they feel like a conflict in that area and it's useful for them to tease it apart and to say, well, I want to be honest about my same-sex sexuality, but I'm not sure I'm prepared to make decisions today about my behavior. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm ready to make decisions today about my identity. Mm -hmm. And it gives them just that space that they need to kind of walk out where they want to go. And and, and if they're a Christian, you know, what, what they believe God is saying to them about how they should live their life and so on and so forth. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Join us next week for part two. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.